I don't. I told Laura, I'm just like the uh, the Ed McMahon to Johnny Carson, and she's like, <laughs> "No, she said, oh, you're she not." Said, don't give yourself that much credit. <laughs> <laughs> I said, "I'm just here, just for like the no, you're not." <laughs> so I mean, I, you are funny, but you bring information. No, most I, of the time, you're funnier than I am. I'm just here to, which really bugs me. We're like, gonna talk hey, about that sometime. <laughs> Who cares about men's health, providing information, inspiration, and motivation to better understand and engage in your health so you feel better today and in the future. My name is Scott Singpill. I'm the manager of thescoperadio.com, and I care about men's health. And I'm Dr. Troy Madsen. I'm an emergency physician at the University of Utah, and I care about men's health. And I'm Dr. Chris Gee, and I'm a sports medicine physician at the University of Utah, and I care about men's health. Dr. Gee, it's great to have you back on the show. Uh, we had Dr. Gee on last season when uh, Mitch rolled his ankle. Uh, to talk about what it's like to deal with a sprained ankle. So if you've ever had that happen, we've already had that conversation with Dr. Gee. So you can go back to our last season and find that out. But today we wanted to do a uh, kind of like a sports medicine doctor Q&A. So, um, but before I get started, though, I wanted to know, like, Dr. Mazza, what would you think when I said we're going to have a sports medicine doc on? What was the first thing that went through your mind? Sports. Think about sports. <laughs> well, I think that's yeah. what a lot of people think. I, yeah. And Chris, I'm sure you hear this a lot, but I think a lot of people hear sports medicine. Like I'll give, you know, I'll see an 80 year old in the ER who has an injury and, you know, everything, you know, maybe x-rays show a fracture. Maybe they don't, but I'll refer them to sports medicine. And it's like sports medicine. I'm not playing sports, you know? So I think, you know, maybe that's people's first impression that this is, you know, that your primary target here is, athletes like college or high school athletes, you know, so I think that's often what goes through people's minds. For sure. Yeah. It's one of those things you end up, uh, I, I get a lot of patients that come in and say, why are you seeing me? You know, or, or <laughs> don't understand really what the specialty is. Um, it's really kind of more activity medicine and, and being active, but, uh, it's, I guess that is where we're at. So activity medicine, do you deal with stuff like back pain, that sort of thing? Yeah, we do. Uh, we'll see some pain, uh, basically kind of any joint in your body, anything that's non-musk or sorry, non-surgical uh, orthopedics is kind of the way I put it. All right. So you're are you an, you're an expert on the bones and the ligaments and the muscles and how they all work? Is that what a sports medicine doc kind of really knows? Yep. Yeah, okay. th that's basically it. And we work on uh, you know all all ages. Uh, so. Anybody kind of from a weekend warrior, professional athlete, or even just somebody trying to, to get uh, that knee to not act up as they're walking around the block. All right. And, and good, we well. know, and we know you're a great doctor, Chris, because you got Mitch through his 5K. So <laughs> he had yeah. his sprained ankle. Yeah. You saw him, you cared for him. He did his, his rehab and he, he, uh, he got through the 5K. He did it. So <laughs> let's go ahead and hit the questions here. So we've got three questions uh, we're going to try to get through. Um, for Dr. Gee, our sports medicine doctor on who cares about men's health. There are a lot of different ways that people could have gotten these questions to us. They could have emailed at hello at the scope radio.com. They could have gone to our Facebook page, facebook.com slash who cares men's health, uh, in direct messages. And then we also have a listener line nowadays, um, where you can call and leave a message. And that phone number is 60155scope. That's 60155scope. So here's the very first question from our listener line. So here's a, a listener that had a question. Hey, guys, love the show. Hey, I have a question. I have a pain that I experienced kind of in between the shoulder blades. Um, it's been kind of off and on for the past 
I don't know, I'd say maybe five years. Um, I don't really remember injuring it. I work in an office. Um, it's not so bad that I need to, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know what to do about it. Um, thanks for letting me know. All right, Dr. Gee, do you have any advice for that individual? What, what, I, I, you see a lot of back pain. Is that something that you do see? I did bring that up earlier, but I didn't quite catch what your answer was. Yeah, we do. Uh, you tend to see a fair bit of back pain in a lot of different patients, a lot of different uh, environments. Um, it, you know, in this case, um, what it gets me thinking is particularly if it's sitting in an office and having to kind of sit forward, that that's a tough position on the shoulders and on the upper back. Um, and over time, spending all that time in that position does tend to weaken the muscles around the upper back and particularly around the shoulder blades. And so as those muscles kind of get a little weaker, they put the shoulder in a bad position and then those muscles are trying to kind of hold it back. Uh, and it can definitely cause some some discomfort. It, it's something I'll see pretty regularly that people will have some pain or or problems with their muscles that stabilize the shoulder. And so putting them through some therapy and some exercises to kind of work on those muscles as well as just working on position, you know, looking at your desk and making sure you're trying to sit in a good posture as much as you can, or even getting up and walking around, you know, a few times um, an hour can help just to kind of break up that monotony. Hey, if I wanted to do a little bit of research for some exercises, what are the muscles that we're talking about back there? Yeah, so uh, particularly the scapular stabilizers are the ones I'm thinking of. And so the, the um, rhomboid major and minor, some of the trapezius, um, and even some of the rotator cuff muscles through there. Uh, and then there are some very important muscles uh, in the upper spine, you know, the, the erector spinae muscles that kind of help to keep us upright. And those muscles that you mentioned, with the exception of the erector spine, the erector what muscle? Spinae? <laughs> Yeah, erector spinae. <laughs> the erector set muscles. This guy, haven't you been working out your erector spinae muscles lately? No, I mean, I've neglected it. Part of your was, routine. <laughs> that was actually my question. Those other muscles you mentioned, the rhomboids and the trapezius, in our kind of day-to-day life, if we're not doing any sort of activity, those are kind of just even ignored muscles in general. We're not really exercising those, are we? You know, you look at just what we do through the course of the day. And so much of it is just right in front of us. So you're holding your phone right in front and your shoulders are sloping forward and your upper back is sloping down. And you basically put those muscles kind of into a stretch and they're never having to really engage. And so, yeah, doing some exercises to to increase the activity of those muscles and really bring them back into position just helps to open that up and, and decrease pain. Is there such thing as a muscle falling falling asleep? I mean, like because you don't use it enough, it kind of forgets to fire and you got to kind of reawaken it, so to speak? Uh, Sort of. You know, you basically, muscles uh, are are worked by activity and exercise. And when when they are used, they they hypertrophy and those neural pathways get a little more prominent. And if, if they're not used a lot, they get weaker as well as if they are having pain, they'll get inhibited. And so they're not used as, as appropriately as they should be. Now, Chris, I don't know if you know, Scott's really into kettlebells now. I'm guessing, I'm guessing, I'm guessing some good, some good kettlebell swings is going to work a lot of those muscles. I don't know if you're familiar with the kettlebell swings, but <laughs> 
Yeah, they can uh, they can work some things out, but they uh, you have a high risk of injury. So maybe you'll end up seeing Troy. I don't know. Oh yeah, well, <laughs> drop it on your foot. Yeah, there can be. I've been. I'm. I'm a. Been exercising like with strength training for a long time, and I'm really a stickler for form, so I'm being very careful with the kettlebells. So that's perfect. Yeah. So, what about an MRI? Would you tell this person, "Hey, it's been five years. Let's get an MRI and see what's going on in your back." Yeah, you know, it it all depends on the symptoms that they're developing. Um, it does tend to be less common to get. Uh, you know, thoracic vertebrae, uh, vertebrae problems or disc problems, um, just because it's a, a more stable area. Um, oftentimes we'll put people through some therapy first and see how it'll do. But eventually, if it's not improving, they may need other imaging, something like an MRI to see, is there something else causing the symptoms and the pain? And what about surgery? Like, are you ever recommending surgery in these patients? Like, if he's just like, hey, this has been going on long enough, I want to get this fixed or any kind of injections? Yeah, injections are usually the next step. Um, They, you can, so let me step back. There's a bursa or a little sack that sits underneath your shoulder blade. And sometimes that can get inflamed and be a source of pain. So sometimes doing injections there or even surgically debriding it can be helpful. Um, but a lot of those muscles get tired. They can get trigger points. They can have a lot of irritation. And so doing uh, injections into those muscles can be helpful. And when you say therapy, is that just short for physical therapy? Is that what you mean? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, and, and physical therapy, you know, involves a lot of things, anything from uh, manual therapy where they're doing actually massage and stretch or, or dry needling uh, all the way up through and including exercises to kind of strengthen areas. I've had the exercises for a couple of issues, and I got to say, it's amazing how well they work after a couple of weeks. It really is. For sure. Yeah, that's, uh, I, I've always found that pretty interesting too. You know, I'll get very skeptical looks from people yeah. when, I, when I tell them, hey, this is what you need to work out. But once you do it, you realize, wow, it, it stabilizing that joint, increasing the, the uh, control of the muscles over it really helps a lot. And you mentioned massage, Chris. Is that something you, you, you're telling people, hey, go to a massage therapist, try this out, and that'll make a difference? Or is it more the, you know, the PT, the physical, the exercises, that kind of thing? I do like massage as far as a, a modality to treat some of the pain. The hard part is, is that a lot of insurances don't cover it. And so it, it, it's a little tough. But yeah, different kinds of massage can help, particularly if you're having muscles that are having to go into spasm to try to hold position in your back or neck or shoulders. Uh, And so they get really tired. And so kind of working them out can alleviate a fair bit of the pain. All right. Our second question here, this is actually a sports question. And uh, I, boy, this could be a really involved answer. So we'll go ahead and just give this a listen here. Uh, Question number two for Dr. Gee, our sports medicine expert on who cares about men's health. Hi, I've got a question for your Sports medicine doc, I'm just wondering, you know, what's his opinion on arm care? You know, so like baseball players, what's your, you know, what should be the limit for how much kids throw? And, you know, do you ice, do you heat? You know, what's your opinion on the best way to stay healthy? Yeah, all right. So I wanted to tease out there. It sounded like he said uh, arm care, baseball players, and then he said something about kids. So like, I yeah, he's yeah. probably got some kid he's trying to get into the major leagues or something. Like that. <laughs> it's his retirement policy <laughs> exactly. is what it is. He's like, I got to make money off this kid. <laughs> right. 
what's happened with youth sports over the past, you know, 10, 15, 20 years is that, you know, when I was a kid, we used to just play a season and then you were done, you know, and you'd go out and mess around. And now kids are getting to the point where you play your high school, uh, you know, with your high school team and then you have a competition team and you have another competition season and then you'll they'll go away to tournaments and they end up playing throughout the entire year and giving no chance to really rest the arm, um, particularly in pitchers, it becomes an issue. Um, and in, in younger pitchers, you, uh, there are growth plates. So the bones basically expand at these growth plates and those growth plates have muscular attachments to them. And so when they're throwing really hard, oftentimes that muscle is pulling off of that growth plate and it can cause stress injury to the bone. Um, they can even tear ligaments um, and, and cause a lot of problems. And so there's a lot of, there's some great recommendations out there um, looking at limiting number of innings pitched um, for for pitchers, limiting the number or types of, of pitches that are thrown. So curveballs tend to be a little more of a, uh, a dynamic uh, stress on the elbow and on the shoulder. And so they have them hold off of that for a period of time until they hit a certain age um, and, and gradually over time looking at building that up. Um, so it's, it's something we'll see a fair bit of. And most of the time, you know, you've got a coach that may be good about limiting what his athlete is doing, you know, from from game to game, but they don't know about all the other games these guys are playing in. And so, you know, as parents, you have to be really careful about how much your kid is pitching, how much your kid is uh, involved in the sport. So, Chris, so it sounds like, you know, parents looking at, you know, regulating pitch counts and the types of pitches thrown, it sounds like that could be pretty involved. Are there any sort of guidelines you know, particularly for different age groups and, and numbers for, for those groups? Yeah, there's some really good guidelines out there that have been, uh, you know, looked at and published um, and reviewed routinely. And, and you can find those under USA Baseball uh, online and, and also Major League Baseball, MLB.com has some of those published guidelines, uh, depending on your age and uh, what kind of position the kids are playing. Uh, does this um, arm care just, is that mainly for people that are in a pitching position? Yeah, it is. Uh, that's the biggest concern is that as they pitch, you know, that many hard throws, it, it just puts stress on their arm. But the other thing you definitely have to think about with these kids is that, you know, if they're going from maybe say they're playing as pitcher and then they're going to play first base, uh, the rest as first base, they're still going to be throwing quite a bit. And so they you've got to really look at how much volume you're putting on this kid's arm. Gotcha. And maybe that I think one of the parts of the listener's question was about icing. Um, and maybe that's a, a bigger question in general. I think probably all of us wonder about, do you, do you recommend people routinely ice their, their joints or, you know, like if you're, if you're working out a yeah. lot, do you, you know, I know some people like ice baths, things like that. Is that something you routinely recommend? For sure. Yeah. It's, it's, it's one of those things that what we believe is happening is that as you're working out, you're getting small little tears and little bits of inflammation within the joint and, and within the muscles. And so doing a little, placing a little ice on the joint after uh, working out is a good idea. It just decreases the inflammation that's there, allows that to recover. I'll usually tell people if you're doing a hard workout, ice down for 10, 15 minutes afterwards, 
And then maybe if you're feeling stiff or tight as you're starting to work out, doing a little heat before a workout just to kind of warm it up should be helpful. Okay. So heat before ice after you're not necessarily, you don't recommend if you've got a hot tub necessarily jumping in the hot tub right after your workout. No, not necessarily. It, it, there's not a lot of hard science behind it. You know, most of the, the research says that icing is most helpful after an acute injury for about a week period. Um, but mo what most people will do is end up using ice after kind of a workout to try to decrease the inflammation they've developed. Is that the secret, uh, secret weapon, if you will, <laughs> of all these professional athletes you work with? Yeah. I mean, I see, I see those ice bathtubs, you know, that they hop into, which look Yeah, wonderful. how did they get in those things, though? I mean, it's torturous, yeah, I can, right? I can imagine. You just grate your teeth and do it, man, right? I know, seriously. Right. Have you seen Kevin Hart's uh, podcast where he uh, puts athletes into uh, cold tubs and then interviews them as they're sitting there? <laughs> <laughs> I haven't. That sounds great. That's, what, that's a, a, a new idea for the Scope Radio. You guys should get into <laughs> yeah. it. We got to put every yeah every one of our guests you know just put them in an ice bath <laughs> see see a, how they do. <laughs> I have a hard enough time getting guests anyway because of schedules and whatnot. If we're putting them in an ice bath, yeah. that's going to come. Going to make you doctors in ice baths. I'm sure that'll go well. <laughs> All right, our last question here is uh, an email from hello at the scope radio dot com. This is from uh, Val, Val, it looks like. So a woman listening to the podcast, which is cool. You know, it's who cares well, about men's well, health. A man's we... name too. It could be a man's Oh, name. it is. Oh, True. maybe yeah, it is. Yeah. yeah. Oh, okay. I guess I yeah. don't know. Uh, can a torn meniscus heal on its own? If it's not surgically fixed, will it cause a lot of future problems? So first of all, what's a meniscus? Is that in my Great. nose? <laughs> not quite. Not that's quite. Called, that's mucus, Scott. Oh, okay. <laughs> meniscus is different. Menucus. Uh, so a meniscus is a piece of cartilage that sits in your knee. Uh, and it kind of acts as a shock absorber between the bones. So as they hit together, they instead of hitting the articular cartilage or the lining of the joint against itself, it hits against this, this meniscus and that absorbs some of the shock. The meniscus, however, doesn't have great blood supply to it, and so it tends to not heal very well. Some of that depends on where in the cartilage it is, if it's in more of a peripheral zone where the blood uh, is transmitting uh, a little closer, it can heal. But most oftentimes, I'd say they don't heal over time. The The treatment, though, doesn't always have to be surgery because what we want to do is is basically allow that meniscus to be in there and act as a shock absorber without having to remove it. As long as that meniscus lays down and doesn't get caught in the joint, so every time you flex the knee, it's popping or it even bends over and kind of gets locked in the knee, then that's something that has to be fixed. Um, otherwise, oftentimes I'll, I'll recommend we trial uh, injections and some therapy and see how much we can get it to calm down without having to go in surgically on it. And it seems like that's a common thing, you know, with our, with skiing and, you know, that sort of thing. It seems like you hear a lot about meniscus tears here. Oh, for sure. It, it's a really common injury. They are, they are at a lot of risk whenever you're squatting down, bending, twisting, you're just kind of pushing against that meniscus. And so that's why it gets injured so often. When my knee pops, is that my meniscus popping always? 
Not necessarily. It can be the kneecap kind of shifting along as it's moving through the trochlear groove. The meniscus does shift a little bit as you're moving your knee. And so sometimes it is just kind of getting a little catch and it'll just pop. As long as it's not painful and doesn't swell up after it, you can kind of just leave it alone. And is this one of those things where where physical therapy can make a difference or are you really looking at injections at that point? Um, yeah, you can start with some physical therapy with those. The idea with that is obviously it's not going to necessarily make that meniscus heal, but it's going to stabilize the musculature around the knee, help it to move more easily and unload the pressure on that meniscus. And as long as it's calming, calming down on its own, you don't have to do anything more. I usually use an injection as sort of uh, getting pain under control so that they can do some exercises and therapy. All right. Troy, do you have anything else? I think that was our three questions. No, I think it's great information. You know, we covered the back, we covered the arm, we covered the knee. So I think, I <laughs> think right. that's a pretty thorough review. <laughs> yeah, we did all right there. Yeah. Uh, Dr. Gee, are you feeling pretty good about this? Yeah, yeah, I feel good about it. It's been good. All right. Well, thank you very much for answering our listener questions. We sure do appreciate it. And thank you, Dr. Gee, for caring about men's health. You're welcome. Glad to be on. Time for odds and ends on who cares about men's health. All right. Got a couple of uh, items here, Troy, that I'd like to throw out there for odds and ends. The first item is really excited about next week's show. We're going to be talking to a gentleman named Lorne and also psychologist Andrew Smith. And Lorne, we're going to find out what his story was in hopes that maybe um, if you're struggling with alcohol dependence, uh, that it will help you. One thing we learned during the episode, because it is already we've already recorded it, like many podcasts, we pre-record a lot of our things. Uh, is that it's not necessarily about the drinking. It's about, that's just a symptom of a lot of other problems. And that was very eye-opening for me in that episode. Yeah, me too. And that that was the point I think we're going to see here really come out in this is there's a whole lot more to this. And interestingly, that's what the therapy focuses on. It doesn't focus on the alcohol. It focuses on the underlying issues that the alcohol is used to, to try and cope with. So yeah, yeah really interesting perspective. And I think regardless of where you're coming from, whether you think maybe I do have an alcohol use disorder, or if you're saying, hey, I don't even drink alcohol, why would I care about this episode? You know, for it, it, I think it has a lot to it that, you know, in terms of other things we might do in our lives and maybe other habits we have and, and how those, it's not about that habit, it's about what is that trying to deal with and then finding that and addressing that. So I think yeah. that was the larger point of the, that, that's the big thing we're, I think we're going to hear. Uh, item number two, uh, we had Nick Galley on last week. He was our uh, sports, you know, he's a mental performance coach. He works with the U.S. speed skating team. And I've already been able to use some of his advice from his last episode nice. about performing like a pro. Yeah, you know, because you've got people's names right now. I know that was your concern. <laughs> yeah, right. He had this come up. I've had other things that I would like to, you know, perform well at. And normally I would get in my own head over and um, I just try to keep his advice in mind. And a couple pieces of advice that he had in his episode is, you know, this thing that you're doing that you're going to gonk yourself at, um, reframe it, you know, don't think of it in terms of this is the most important thing in the world. Think of it as, you know, I'm really lucky to have this opportunity to share this information with somebody or to share this story. And then also just realize you're human, you know, and if you screw up, it's fine. You're in a room with other humans. Just experience that moment together. And it made all the difference in the world. I didn't, I didn't gonk myself and I didn't have any major problems, but I knew if I did, I'd be able to handle them. So nice. Nice. Check out that episode from last week with Nick Galley and how to perform like a pro. 
and I would sing it, but I. No, 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 no. Thunder. Thunder. Troy, do the honors of singing. You've been thundered about. I can't do that, Scott. Come on. Thundered about. <laughs> I have to maintain some sense of dignity. Thundered about. I'm sorry. I can't. I think you already did it. <laughs> All right. The segment is called Nutrition Myths. Thunder debunked with Thunder Jalili on Who Cares About Men's Health. Thunder Jalili is our nutrition expert, and um, we've got him back for another question. We're going to give him some kind of, um, you know, fitness advice or something you might read somewhere. And we're going to find out if it's truth or if it's going to become thunder debunked. Today's question, how many meals should I be eating throughout the day to boost my metabolism? Is there a magic number? I've heard lots of small meals throughout the day boost your metabolism, you know, when you're pursuing weight loss versus, you know, only two or three meals. Okay. So let me just clarify because People always talk about metabolism and boosting metabolism, but I guess I'm a little ignorant. I'm, I'm never quite sure what people mean by that. So do you mean like as a way to, to help you lose weight? Is that the idea? I believe that that's what, um, when I hear people say this and that what, that's what I would think as well. Okay. So, you know, the metabolism meaning I'm, is there something I can do to my, to my body that makes it burn calories, more calories or more calories, more efficiently. Um, yeah. So that would be exercise. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, so the idea of, of having, you know, six small meals a day or one meal a day or three meals a day or whatever. Um, if you're trying to lose weight, the more important concept there is to eat in a finite period of time. All right. Um, to to make sure you have a a fasting period in each twenty four hour cycle. Okay, uh, like sixteen hours is an amount that a lot of um, you know that has been identified that that has been you know a good tool for weight loss. It doesn't have to be sixteen hours. Just you know, just for caloric maintenance, twelve hours uh, I think actually works too. So, but to have six meals a day, if you have it in that you know time period, uh, that's fine. It could be three meals a day. It doesn't really matter. Where I think six meals a day becomes more helpful is not to lose weight, but to gain weight. So if people are, someone wants to lift weights, they want to build muscle mass, they want to gain weight, easier to do that if you have more meals. Because each time you eat, you have protein in that meal. That protein stimulates muscle protein synthesis. Uh, you release insulin, which is an anabolic hormone that leads to um, synthesis of, of tissues and including muscle protein synthesis. So to have increased hits of, of food and protein and insulin is better to help you gain weight. But I don't really see how that would help you lose weight. So I, for losing weight, I go back to the time-restricted feeding and not really care how many meals I'm eating during my allowed eating time. So eating six meals throughout the day to boost the metabolism, that has just been thunder debunked. Or at least thunder, thunder modified. <laughs> thunder modified. <laughs> you need to come up with a catchier name. <laughs> thunder modified. Yeah, that's so boring. <laughs> just going to leave this here. It could have something to do with health or it could just be something that's on our mind or something we want to share. Troy, why don't you start off? Just going to leave this here. 
Well, Scott, I'm just going to leave this here. I got something that I now I just it's I got to tell you about it because I don't know if you've ever used this kind of thing. I got a percussion massager. This is one of these things you hold it and it looks like a speed gun, like a, you know, like some. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Like holding like a like a radar or speed gun or something. But yeah, my chiropractor has one of those. A lot oh, of people yeah. will experience those in their chiropractors and it kind of goes. Doop, 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 doop. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. And you can just you can buy it online and. You know, they're fairly expensive, but you can find kind of some less expensive options. Mine wasn't super expensive by any means, but it's great. Like I've never used one of these things before. I've had some massagers, but not like this. Like this really works the deep, deep tissues. Um, I've just got like these sore spots I continually deal with. You know, we've talked about IT bands and rolling and all that, using it on my IT band, using it on these sore areas on my hip and all that. And it's, it's great. So if you've got some sore spots, consider it. I've enjoyed it and it's working well for me after about a month. And uh, that's what I'm going to leave here. Just going to leave this here. Uh, of course, last week, the vice president of the United States was in Salt Lake City for the vice presidential debate. And I got stuck uh, because of the motorcade. So I'm trying to go through this intersection and all of a sudden two motorcycle police cops pull up and each one of them gets off their bike and one goes to one side of the intersection, one goes to the other side of the intersection and then they stop us. Right. So I know immediately oh, the motorcade is going to be coming down the road. Have hmm. you ever seen a presidential or vice presidential motorcade? I have never had that experience. It was crazy. So, you know, you've got these cops that, that did that, that blocked this road, right? And as soon as they blocked two other motorcycle cops, or actually a bunch of them, go zooming by. I don't know how fast oh, they yeah. were going on this 35 mile an hour road, presumably doing the same thing, right? I'm sure they're just kind of leapfrogging each other, going from intersection to intersection. Mm -hmm. And then um, 30 highway patrol motorcycles came rolling down. Okay. And I'm going to tell you now that I actually looked this up because I was curious, like how many vehicles are in a motorcade and how they get all those SUVs and stuff here. So <laughs> I, I looked this up and I just want to share it because I'm just nerding out about this. So uh, the president could visit three places in a day, which means, you know, they might have to have three separate motorcades in, in three different locations, mm -hmm. which blew my mind, first of all. Right. So, so they transport these vehicles by military planes, like big C-17 military oh, wow. planes. They're not renting from from the local enterprise. No, they're not. <laughs> I don't think the Hertz has exactly Hertz. what they're looking for. Because <laughs> a dollar rental does not carry these, no. these SUVs. Okay. Okay. So um, as I'm watching this, you know, you see the police motorcycles, the highway patrol motorcycles, you see police cars, and then you get to the real deal part of the vice presidential motorcade. And they've got all these black SUVs and they've got one that's for electronic countermeasures. So it jams communications and remote detonating advices devices. Oh, wow. And I saw that one. So did uh, your cell phone stop working? <laughs> no, I don't. I didn't. I didn't know at the time. This was in retrospect. I look it up and I went, whoa, that's what that was. Uh -huh. And then they've got a, a truck kind of thing. And that's for hazardous materials mitigation. And it's got sensors to detect nuclear, biological or chemical attacks. So, so it's I saw actively that. sensing as it's going past. I guess, you know, uh -huh. so I saw that one. And then there another SUV comes by and it's a communications vehicle because it has all these antennas on it. And that's exactly what this one was. Wow. And then you get some of the cars that come by. You don't know which one's carrying the vice president. You know, that's part oh, really? of the that's part of the smoke and mirrors, right? Is you like there's just a bunch of limos or yeah, they... there's identical limos and you don't know which one the president is in. And they apparently they will they will switch positions periodically to just keep like a shell game, right? But to be clear, this was a motorcade for the vice president. Yeah, which I'd and imagine it, is probably very similar. Yeah, yeah, I'd like, imagine. Well. I mean, I don't know for sure. Mm. And then, you know, towards the back, um, two ambulances 
are following this thing. <laughs> and then you've got a were, whole... Were they local ambulances or were I'm they brought sure in? I'm not sure about that. Like they, Salt Lake Fire or who yeah, they were. I couldn't, I couldn't tell that. Couldn't tell. Okay. Yeah. And then you've got a whole bunch in the back, a whole bunch more cops and stuff. I mean, this was just an incredible wow. sight. It was just crazy. So I will put a link to the article that I read about it because I thought it was just fascinating, I guess, in a guy geeky sort of way. Yeah. You know, what it takes to transport this one individual from point A to point B. It was just... That's pretty remarkable. It was just crazy. So yeah, check that out on the um, on the, on the the show description page. I'll put that up there if you want to check that out. The only thing I can compare to that is like the greatest satisfaction, like some of the greatest satisfaction I get from running is running a race. And you've had this too, Scott, running through a city and having the police officers stopping all the traffic and seeing cars lined up like 20 long, just waiting for you to run past them. <laughs> <laughs> it's not exactly a presidential motorcade, but it is a certain amount of satisfaction. You guys can wait on me. Okay. I mean, I'll be going fast. It's mile 23, but you can wait. <laughs> All right. It's time to say the things that uh, we say at the end of podcast, because we are at the end of our podcast. Troy, go ahead. Uh, thanks for listening. Please be sure and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts, whether that's iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, uh, we're on all the podcasting platforms. You can contact, uh, contact us at hello at the scope radio.com. Uh, reach out to us on Facebook, facebook.com slash who cares men's health. Uh, and our website is who cares men's health.com. And then we also have a listener line. You can leave a message at 60155scope. That's 60155SCOPE. Thanks for listening and thanks for caring about men's health.